You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, motherfucker! What are you looking at, sir? I'm looking at you, miss. Run that, baby. I'm not the Zodiac. And if I was, I certainly wouldn't tell you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the final decade project for 2013 in 2023. This is, of course, the One Hit Minute production show that we do looking back 10 years. And this episode is extra special because I'm doing it with my bestest friend in the whole world. And more importantly, it's a movie that has, we immediately were on the speed train, we were on the island, we were on this movie the second that it came out. And every single time I watch it, I think about us, I think about how great this movie is, and it just continues to age like a sensational fine wine. My best friend is, of course, the talented and award-winning author, I've even collected one, Maria Lewis, here she is. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me to discuss one of our mutually favourite films but also specifically like one of the top 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 films from 2013 which i think is honestly like a great cinematic year so many bangers this entire decade project has illuminated that for me just like you go back and 2014's got some great ones too but what movie are we talking about only lovers left alive baby being so reclusive and everything is probably only going to make people more interested in your music. Yeah. What a drag. Hello. What is it? You look tired. Can't you tell your wife what your problem is? It's the way they treat the world. And now they've succeeded in contaminating their own blood, never mind their water. Typo negativo. 
Been expecting you for some reason, uh, Dr. Faust. I'll come. It's just the traveling that's such a drag. And is there a possibility of a night flight from Tangier to Detroit? Is that correct? I love what you've done with the place. Remember when you gave that string quintet to Schubert? I only gave him the Adagio. I had a dream about your sister. Shouldn't she be sleeping in a coffin somewhere anyway? Probably with a wooden stake shoved in. I'm really, really hungry. Do you maybe have something? Did you smell it all the way from L.A.? It's always a bit weird with family. You're looking awfully pale there, Dr. Caligari. Is that the really good stuff? Precisely. You've been pretty lucky in love, though, if I may say so. God, I wish that I'd met him before I wrote Hamlet. Whoa, man. That certainly was visual. What is that? Oh, negative. There never has a sound sequence better captured the essence of this <laughs> subtle and powerful and graceful film as us doing the flow rider equivalent of bow, 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 bow. Let me hear you say languid vampires. <laughs> oh, oh so twenty thirteen. Jim Jarmusch, uh, Jim Jarmusch's only lovers left Jim alive. I'm, I'm, I, I'm talking to you, so I mispronounced it. Um, so the energy uh, I want to bring to this is the same energy that Emma Stone had when she was just like tearing shreds off Bradley Cooper for an hour. So let's really go. good, really good stuff. Um, but if you haven't seen it, uh, it's too. <laughs> Topical. Very topical because most people in this movie are dead um, uh, or about to be. And trying to kill themselves. Trying to kill themselves actively. Two vampires who live um, on opposite sides of the world as we encounter them. Eve, played by the absolutely incredible Tilda Swinton. And Adam, played by who at that time was the hottest actor in the world, Tom Hiddleston. Um, Tom, uh, Tom Hiddleston's Adam lives in Detroit. Uh, Eve lives in Tangier with their mutual mentor, her hero, uh, Christopher Marlowe, played by John Hurt. And Adam is basically a sookie boy and he's alone and he's by himself. And he calls to his great love from the other side of the world and she answers. And 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 it's a tale of them living in a decaying human society, can, reconnecting to sort of reaffirm why they want to continue to be immortal in this world and it's just so damn perfect like top mm. to bottom amazing actors two massive rips anton yelchin oh that was i could not stop thinking about that watching this film because obviously like you know tom and tilda are so fantastic but then you have mia wasikowska and anton yelchin and her too obviously but particularly me and Anton just coming in fucking shooting threes from side of court guns blazing. And I was just like, God damn, I miss him. Like this is one of He's his so, last films. He was just such a talent, such a talent. And a guy who was just so 
amazingly like, yeah, I'll be like the guy who delivers Tom Hiddleston stuff in a Jim Jarmusch film for 10 minutes. Like he's just amazing. Just like no ego. Incredibly egoless, non-vain performer in almost everything that he's in, including Along Came a Spider, you know, when he's like the little, (laughs) the Russian ambassador's son and shit, like just with a hard Russian accent. It's just like, you watch stuff with him and it's like, this is not somebody, uh, I don't know. I just, I could any, I'm, you've heard a thousand people talk about how good Anton Yelchin is. I don't want to oversell it, but he just is somebody who really does feel light in things, even if they're super heavy stuff like green room, yeah. there's just something about his performance always where it feels so assured and so concrete, even if the film around him isn't necessarily deserving of his talents, which was rare. He was a very careful picker but you know fright night is just okay and odd thomas is just okay but he is exceptional in everything he elevated everything he was in there's this is why i love physical media i was looking at my blu-ray of only lovers left alive and i was like oh i haven't actually checked out the special features on this thing in a million years let's check what's on there there was actually a short film called traveling at night with jim jarmusch which is 49 minutes it's directed by um a, a lady by the name of leah rinaldi and there's a scene like it's actually in the lead up to Anton Yelchin's like performance as dead body with Mia Vashikoska on the couch. And they'd been changing the lines. So it's really funny to see behind the scenes, like Tom Hiddleston's like getting the shits that the lines are changed and they're like figuring it all out and watching Jarmish's like weird relationship with the cinematographer. You know, who was fucking just amazing. Anton's sitting there with one of those gorgeous guitars that like occupy Adam's entire space in this you know, gargantuan Detroit home that has like 20 bedrooms. He doesn't even know what's in all of them. Um, He's basically just retrofit the entire house to be a music studio. And Anton Yelchin is just like wailing on a guitar, like completely chill and relaxed. And like everyone else is like in this high stress energy mode. And he's just like sitting on the couch, curly hair around, like just wailing. And I was just like, fuck that guy's an artist. Like he's just there amongst the chaos. And if you haven't, if you haven't had a chance to see it, you got to see him in this little short. It's amazing. That's also the one of the things about somebody who's literally grown up doing that job is, um, and I imagine like, you know, Mia was a casco was working from a very young age too, but like Anton Yelchin was like fucking nine and 10 and shit in stuff and big stuff. And so you have literally grown up with a set being your school, being your place of work for however many years he died really young, but like he was in the game for nearly 15 years you would have seen all kinds of shit, all kinds of people and all kinds <laughs> of scenarios melting down around you. You're like, hey, man, let's just roll with it. This is this is the business. This is the year. This is the day. Oh, so great. So, and John Hurt, who obviously lived a long life, two completely different RIPs, but a complete legend, is in one of, if not your favorite movie of all time, Alien. Um, getting <laughs> My his, literal favorite movie of all time. L- yeah. getting, getting his chest burst the living daylights out of it's just sensational so he's he's a legend in our mind and low-key like uh i just watched that movie american fiction that uh i got a screener Mm -hmm. of that that's out did a low-key jeffrey wright double feature didn't even realize i was going to be doing it i'm just like fuck Uh, jeffrey wright's in this and he's so good he's jeffrey wright again kind of like this is a one of those films where it's like everybody in this movie is one of those people where they don't miss like they can be in stuff that isn't good or doesn't serve them, but they are always exceptional in it. 
And yes. like Jeffrey Wright is that guy. He's always really like you're always excited when you see him pop on screen and you're you're always reassured and comfortable in the fact that like, oh hell yeah, there's Jeffrey Rush. Even if he's only in it for 10 minutes, this guy's gonna be cooking. Fuck yeah, he's in the Hunger Games, baby. Let me see that quarter quell. <laughs> What's he up to? What's he up to? It's a clock. It's a clock. Like, let's go. All right. So if you have never, if this is your first decade project, welcome. We basically break down the show um, over a couple of segments. The first one is how was it received initially? And at the time, I know how hard we were about this movie, but it actually had some pretty fantastic reviews, you know, like um, Ty Burr from the Boston Globe, who's a terrific critic, was just like, like one of the, he called it one of the, a movie that turns one of the silliest notions into one of the most affecting movies of Jarmusch's career. Um, like Jason Bailey, a friend of the show said like, only lovers left alive is a hanging out movie just with vampires. You know, it had some really terrific reviews at the time. Um, uh, our, our mutual, um, our mutual uh, uh, a person that we admire very much, um, Wesley Morris, actually hated it. He said, this movie is steeped in world weariness that flatters a certain kind of know-it-all. Swinton and Hiddleston look like twins, uh, take disaffection to the moon. Not since the weekend at Bernie's have two actors done more to promote the cause of corpses. Which I thought That's was... very funny. It's That's very funny. Very good. Oh, you know what? That's why criticism fucking rules, dog. Because it's like, you know what, it's fine. You can have like different opinions, but it's craft. Like, I don't care if I like a film and you hate it. If the reasons you're telling me about why you dislike it are if you factual cra- and interesting and you craft a banger lead and a banger sentence, like, I'm, I'm along for the ride. Let me hear your wrong opinion. That's cool. Yeah, that's that that was a great wrong opinion. But pivoting from that, Australia's no, premier... No, he has points. He has points no, he's there, got points. but I just... He's- personally he's got, disagree he's got points but of course you know he's wesley morris so i'll read anything he writes about any film to be honest now this one is close to our heart a man scolded us on the highest rated show ever in australian cultural criticism at the movies david stratton oh said i think this is certainly an original and unusual film Oh my god! This should be right up his fucking alley. It's slow and it's like poetry and it's genre, but also at the same time, it's genre in a classy way. No, it's genre so from it's, America, it's, so it's fine. Well, but if he squinted, it feels it's very European. Like let's be honest, like it's America, but it's like it is, but it isn't. But if he squinted with his beady little eyes, he could pretend this isn't fucking genre at all, and then he'd be so happy. Oh my God. So at the time, at at the time without being sort of crazy, uh, uh, like a crazy critical reception that had people sort of gushing about it uniformly, it had a big impact on the both of us. I remember we saw it together and we're just like, this is exactly the kind of immediately obsessed. uh, Had we seen it together? I actually was thinking about this before we did the show. Have we seen it together or no? Because I felt I feel like we had seen it separately and then came together at my house and we're both like what? and no. immediately trying to recreate the poster. No, well, no, it's you're close. I think we saw it separately and then went yeah. to Dendi and Newtown and actually saw it again together so we could be sitting together. And then we walked back to your house. Shout out to Angel Street. We walked back to your Angel house. Street, um and took 
a classic photo in our friendship. Immediately obsessed with that movie. Immediately. I think yeah, I left, totally. I think I left work and you're like, do you want to go see Only Love's Left Live? I'm like, yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Let's go. I'll Wait, see you. Can you hear that? No. What is it? My neighbor's barking. oh shit anyway that's atmos baby (laughs) that's look we're talking about a very sensual and sexual movie and just someone there's only lovers screaming out shagging right next to your house right now in finnish that's why i can never i only realized that i can never understand what lapland lapland baby (laughs) So sorry, interrupted you. Carry on. <laughs> How can I carry on? Can you hear that? She's gonna, she's gonna come soon, so don't worry about it. Let's go. <laughs> Hang on. She's coming. She's coming. She, yeah, and we're good. Let's go. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. So that was then at the time. Now, this feels so strange because Jim Jarmusch was like a guy who on that specific time that he made it was on a bit of a tear. Like he was, he, so if you go from like ghost dog 99, then like coffee and cigarettes, 2003, 2005 is broken flowers, which is kind of big. He then does, um, he, he kind of has a little lapse limits of our control, which is okay. Then he goes only lovers left alive. Patterson, um, uh, Patterson, then he does the dead don't die, and that's kind of like 2019. And it's now just and sort give of give me danger. And give well. me danger, yeah. Mm-hmm. Give me danger too. And but he has this kind of like a couple of like little patches where you're like bang, 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 jamish, jamish, jamish. It's like huge. He was always this independent presence. But then this happens, and I feel like when people go back and they talk about all the great films that they love of his, this is never one of them. You know, it's so funny you say that because I too was thinking about that specifically but also this film because I feel like at the time it was very appreciated and acknowledged however in hindsight now like that we have you know the clarity of a decade this is the decade project etc etc I feel like people don't talk about this film in the same way that even other vampiric films of this era because what we do in the shadows came out just after this, right? Yeah, twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, also, you know, Dracula Untold, shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, there are a lot of other vampiric properties that came out around the same time that I feel have much more pop cultural real estate present day in a way that only Lovers Left Alive does it. And, you know, the people who love it, love it, but it's it hasn't been one of those films that I feel has had a developing cult fan base. Yeah. It almost feels a little bit like lost a time, like one of his true lost classics. And maybe it's something like, and just thinking of like another great genre property that's also very poetic, poetic and languid and odd like this, but not vampires. Um, this little Aussie horror film called Celia which came out in the eighties and like was sort of, you know, was really well received at the time and did the similar sort of things like only lovers left alive did on an international festival circuit. It was obviously like a big, like calm situation. The French are fucking <laughs> weird. So who knows what they're into um, pedophiles, but anyway, um, but it was one of those films that, you know, blew up sort of on the festival circuit in the way that something like Celia did. 
But Celia is having a bit of a resurgence now and it's, you know, 30 something years later. And I hope it doesn't take 30 years for Only Lovers Left Alive to find its level again. But it just is one of those films that even these individual actors, if you talk about Tilda, Anton, Jeffrey Wright has a tiny part, Mia Wasikowska, Tom Hiddleston, even John Hurt. But John Hurt, again, really long filmography, similar to like Tilda, where you're just like always putting shit out, bouncing from the stage to the screen. This is not a film that gets brought up in their canon which I find so fascinating and I really am curious as to what that is because I'll be truthful I'm not much of a Jimmy J girly like it, he's no he's that not- was going to be that was going to be one of my questions because I'm also not a Jimmy J guy uh-uh. like I, I, I there's you know there, there's a few of his films that I really love and like I have like a real affinity in a strange way for like coffee and cigarettes because it's just one of those like great like episodic silly movies that has all these great wonderful actors and faces. That was going to be one of the ones I cited as just oh, fuck, I hate this shit. <laughs> yeah, no, but like I I, I to study it in film school and shit. I'm like, "Oh god, I get it. You I, smoke ciggies, get a grip." And, and here's me over here just going, "Oh my god, I just what a, um, <laughs> Oh just, my god, one cigarette. I'm uh, like, oh, I, I could go with a coffee at nine o'clock at night." So that's my way for it. Um yeah, you know, we we go together like coffee and cigarettes, but I was just um, going to say I don't hear anyone talking about this. And you mentioned this, which I thought was really spot on, is there was a bit of a moment when we were in the Twilight era of other kinds of vampire movies coming out that were getting mm-hmm. dwarfed mm-hmm. by it. And so one of the ones I thought of was firstly, was just like, let the right one in, which mm-hmm. then got remade as Let Me In by Matt Reeves. Which, gotta say, to be honest, the American remake was the one that I preferred. Yeah, uh, that I enjoyed that film a lot more. But like you talk about Twilight, Twilight Saga is only finishing in 2012. Yeah, and that last film comes out November because they had that November release slot every year for fucking the 86 years they stretched those four books out across. And so this is right within Twilight Mania. Like the tail hasn't dropped off yet. You have Vampire Academy, one of my favorite films. And um, which has been a real like you two uh, on the Vampire Academy train because we love, love the Russian guy, but Zoe Deutsch as well is Zoe so charming and delightful. And there's just this vampiric moment happening that is really interesting. True Blood as well, like you had multiple, multiple seasons. Oh, of that, that show was massive then. It was oh everywhere. my god! And it was really the show that its success set up things like Game of Thrones, where it's like, you know, talk about big HBO shows, people think Sopranos and The Wire, for sure, totally agree. But True Blood was the show that had that that's was the that's the Game of Thrones that's the Game of Thrones template because it's exactly it's, what I was just about to get to. It's fantasy was and it tits. R rated, it had tits, it had high fantastical elements, it was based on books and source material that had an inbuilt fan base. And at the time, before Game of Thrones became the TV phenomenon that it was, the actual cultural reach of George R. R. Martin's books wasn't that different from Charlene Harris's books of the Silky Stackhouse series. So there's a lot of comparisons there, but this is like right within the vampire hotspot. And so I feel like maybe things like this, where they're like, we're trying to do Byzantium, one of my favorite films of all time came out mm. in this era, where they're trying to do vampiric movies that are a little bit different to fucking Mormon vampires, that was sort of the era where stuff like this had a moment to sparkle. 
And the next year, so next year, uh, 2014, a girl walks home alone at night, which is an independent, um, uh, like an independent horror Western vampire protagonist story. Did huge festival stuff and was like lauded and was on so many top 10 lists and it like was a smash. Yet the movie that's got Tilda, who everyone loves, and Tom Hiddleston, who at the time, this is pre the uh, Taylor Swift, uh, uh, what was it, the Taylor Swift feature that was in the was in like Variety or whatever. It was all pre that time. He was the coolest motherfucker out there. Like he, he just hadn't even com- dated her yet. So no, this he, is definitely he was, pre. He's come off the top of Avengers, which is the year before, which is absolutely gigantic. He's so well loved. And it's like, okay. It just disappeared, and I can't fathom why. Well, the other thing that's so interesting about this is that part of Adam was originally uh, made for Michael Fassbender. Like, he was supposed to be the person playing that part. Isn't that interesting? Wow. And I I, I think it's so fascinating because would you ever compare the two of them? Like, they're both, like, very sinewy. And (laughs) (laughs) they're sinewy and they're good actors. And, but the thing they really have in common is they both, and especially at that time around 2013, were straddling the line between mainstream studio films and franchises because Fassbender was obviously like in the X-Men movies. He'd just done Prometheus, stuff like that. So straddling that line, well, also 2013 for him was the year... 12 years a slave comes out Mm. and he's like one of like you know on the mount rushmore of worst white men ever and the (laughs) counselor one of your favorites you know and then it's like it's It's light between oceans it's like all these like really interesting things and it's so fascinating if you look at their filmographies side by side and line up the timelines they're doing quite similar work like really quite similar work and they have that same level of critical acclaim it's just that um I would say Michael Fass Michael Fassbender didn't have the people love him but he didn't necessarily court the fandom and court fans in the same way that Tom Hiddleston's out here doing you know the fucking two-step on Graham Norton and then he's doing the the wiggle over here on you know James Corden, then he's out here doing a backwards electric slide over on Jimmy Fallon. You know what I mean? Like he he works for it and was working for it in a way that Michael Fassbender's like, I don't know, man, maybe I'll just dip from Hollywood for a bit and go like fucking drive cars. I don't know. What do you reckon? Yeah? No? Yeah, just yeah? For, okay, I'll just yeah, take three, I'll take three years off. I'm not fucking around with you guys. I'm good. Which I'm I respect so much actually um, that when you can do that and just dip out and be like, all right, I'm going to go and I'll come back and I'll do a couple of movies. Um, the Just like Patrick really, Dempsey, you know? Patrick Dempsey, big Ferrari guy, Michael Mann guy, old Patrick Dempsey these days, huh? Excited? People's sexiest man, allegedly. Yeah, allegedly. It is a well, big I allegedly. Mean, it's no, always... It's- it's you, you like, oh man, I could get into the politics of that whole decision, but like people have to accept it. You don't just get like, you just don't get given it. It's like they have a list of people that they're like, okay, here's our 15 ish people we want. Let's start at the top of the list and work our way down. Cause they've gone to Ryan Gosling multiple times and he's like, fuck that. I don't want that shit. Cause then you have to do an exclusive cover shoot with them and an interview and everything. And it really is dependent on who's 
courting that kind. I was kind just of I was just gonna say, Gosling this we, year as Ken surely is is the one, but it's also like. Glenn Powell found dead somewhere in a ditch because you know he wanted that. Like, you know, he's watching fucking Patrick Dempsey, who also left, you know, after getting fired off Grey's Anatomy, goes to fucking drive cars for a bit. And Glenn Powell is just out here doing everything he can to just stay alive and stay afloat. And he's just like biting into his fist, screaming that Patrick Dempsey was the one they gave it to when, you know, it would have been perfect timing wise for anyone but you. Instead, he had to go and show his hole on the men's <laughs> the men's health cover shoot. So, you know, live love love. Show his hole. <laughs> Haven't just... you seen that shot where he's it's it's his like not not the ass I would desire, but each to their own. Um, but he's out there with his butt. And the gays went full conspiracy theorist in a way that I la 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 love because in the anyone but you trailer. <laughs> There's a shot of him and Sydney Sweeney's bare butts, and his butt in that trailer is like, you know, he's been doing some squats, he's been working out, he's like this anaconda don't want none. And then in the men's health shoot, it's go girl, give me nothing of butts. And so the gays were comparing, contrasting whether he'd oh. had a CGI butt like Tom Cruise in Valkyrie. Very interesting stuff. Bless the gays for their conspiracy theories. Shout out to all of you who are listening. We love you. The world's bravest soldiers, truly. <laughs> if when pop culture needs soldiers, it's the gays. They will find out everything. Bless they, them. They're they're on the front lines in Rihanna's navy, and they are forging <laughs> ahead. Oh, bless. Now, let's uh let's just take the quickest of breaks, and then we're going to come back and try and unpack a little bit about what what happened why it didn't resonate and maybe a couple of like sliding doors moments let's take a quick break you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you. 
Alrighty, we're back. We're still trying to figure out. Uh, we've we've just been shouting out our dear friends, the gays, for their work on conspiracy theory of Glenn Powell's bum. Um, a massive, perfect digression uh, that is pretty much par for the course on this show and par for the course of any Maria and I conversation. But also coming- not irrelevant. Lots of nudity in this. Lots of nudity. Let's get to that. Uh, I l- watched this again and. I think Tom Hiddleston's doing seriously some of his best work in this movie, but Tilda Swinton, God, doesn't she just make everyone look awful sometimes next to how amazing she is? <laughs> like she's just so, so, so good. And I, 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 I love everything about the way that these vampires operate in the world. I love that the primary setting is Detroit, which is decaying. I love that there's a whole system by which that he goes out of his house to get like pure blood, you know, because humans have poisoned themselves and have contaminated themselves. So that's how we, just like we have polluted the earth, um, we've contaminated their food source, which is us. I love all of the little, all of the little bits and pieces in this movie. I think just that they're all so understated and, all of the component parts are so cool when you connect them together and the what you think of the way that the movie tells that story and adds these little bits of background and fleshing out of the story. I just, I, I can't get enough of it. Uh, it's so, so clever. And, um, and I know you as a fantasy writer would just be eating up how they, the characters tell so much about themselves by the culture that they consume and the culture that's around them. Well, it's, the Detroit thing so fascinating because I also think that has one of my favorite lines and favorite moments from the movie where they go to Jack White's old house and they're like, yeah. little baby Jack White. Little baby Jack White. So funny because, you know, like obviously coffee and cigarettes, blah, blah, blah. But it's also such a nice little moment because uh, part of the sort of like ongoing catalyst for the story is one half of another person's soul trying to make the person who's kind of giving up on life and giving up on living, trying to make them excited about life again. And the way they do that and the way she tries to get him excited about life is essentially by exploring art, like music and movies and culture and being around life and the way that we express life, books. There's a bit where um one of the pseudonyms she uses is um Fibonacci. And I'm like, oh my god, the Fibonacci sequence! Like the alias man <laughs> and me just jumped out. I was like, whoa, they're gonna get into Ramboli next. Um, <laughs> never let it go. You know, those, those are core memories and core moments. But it was just such an interesting bit because a lot of the culture that they're talking about is big picture stuff. You know, it's Shakespeare and it's Haiti and it's orchestras and it's music, but it's also like accessible pop culture the white stripes and the idea of jack white and like some of the other references that they make is really compelling to me in a way that that's like a micro example or like a micro textual example of what the macro thing this film is doing which is a very mainstream pop culture fast food type accessible one word selling point vampires but doing something very high art and artistic and intentional and in many ways unconventional in his execution of Vampire Stout. That was that movie he did about zombies later, fucking Dead Don't Die or some shit. The Dead Don't Die. I, I, I think the in. longer title was The Dead Don't Die or some shit, but yeah, I think uh, how it was released in Australia was The Dead Don't Die. I actually quite like that film, 
but it lacks all of the subtlety that only lovers left alive does. And yeah. you know, like zombies are a horde. You can't do like an intimate zombie drama, but you can do that with vampires. It's about the what monster you're choosing to say what thing. And just sort of the the idea of these like two souls just sort of intertwined through time, moving through the world is just such a compelling idea, but it's also the way that it's executed that is so fascinating. And them sort of being in the ruins of humanity and in the ruins of Detroit. And it's just, it's just really rich, rich stuff. It's a dark chocolate film. That's how it feels where you're just like, oh man, flavors bursting off your tongue and like a, a, a bitterness and a really like gradual acquired taste to it as opposed to just like fucking Maltesers in a bag, which I also <laughs> love. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, some days a girl just wants some 80% cocoa. Yeah, that's that's a great way to describe it. And there's some great conversations too. And I was one that I thought of particularly um, tonight thinking about you where, where Tilda's Eve is asking Adam, she's like, tell me about Byron. And he was like, well, he was a freaking... He was a stuck up. He was like, you know, he was, he was up. He's, he was completely up himself. He was up his ass. And she goes, Oh, but tell me about Mary. And then, yes! and then, and then, and then, at, and then Adam looks over and he goes, Oh, she was delicious. <laughs> and, and, and then she goes, Oh, I bet she was. I bet she was. And you know what? She lost her virginity on her mother's grave at 19 to a married man. She fucking was delicious. Correct. <laughs> correct right wrote one of the greatest and most seminal pieces of genre art ever because she was like fuck byron and fuck these dumb men who think they're god <laughs> like that's delicious if that's not what delicious means then fuck it i don't want to know the original anything. science fiction text the yeah. great the the seminal the canonical one but yeah there's so many moments like that here and um it, you know, there's so many moments and little touches that are great and some things work better than others, but you're so right about, it's just like, it's just trying to find your way in the world. And I also love in this movie and it's maybe it's because we're coming out of like Oppenheimer time and you hear about like all these scientists that were around Oppenheimer that were the sort of own rock stars in different fields of science and mm -hmm. stuff like later on themselves. But like, this is like gushing about great scientist movies like Newton is mm. mentioned and Galileo is mm. mentioned and Tesla is mentioned. It's like, and it's really cool to see like that they see artists in intellectual pursuits, not just music and not just writing, but it's like well, scientists are the fucking, they're, they're the people. It's so funny. You make the Oppenheimer comparison. Cause there is that great line in Oppenheimer where Matt Damon is like brilliance in your field is a given. Like, yes. he's just like, I'm unimpressed by brilliant. You're all fucking brilliant. Like, get a grip. Anyway, <laughs> but there's that beautiful sequence in the what must be the opening 20 minutes of the film. It's really hard to gauge time in a, in a Nolan joint. Uh, but where Oppenheimer is in Germany and he's like, he's learning about Cubism and the Cubist movement. And he's starting to explore music and all these other art forms are converging at the same time as his ideas are converging RE science and understand like the way Nolan's able to, to sort of combine those theories and those ideas all together. I was like, this is why he rocks. Like, this is why he's the goat man, like truly. And 
in, in like watching Only Love is Left Alive recently, I was like, why did Nolan just like loves this shit? I wonder if this is like date think... night for him and Emma. Is they're just like <laughs> chilling out, playing Adam and Eve, watching this film because it is just it's such an appre. Even though they're so like playing it low key and so dour, and everything about the performances is subtle and chill, it's such a loud movie about loving life, which is so weird when you think about you know all the things that it is. I think Nolan is totally the kind of guy that would answer a FaceTime call using an old laptop <laughs> and like one of those old TVs that has like knobs on it and like with like weird buttons and so tweakers and stuff like that. I totally think that's in his wheelhouse. So I think he would have a lot of fun with this. So let's, um, did you have any more like little bits of trivia? Because that, that, that one is amazing that it was originally a fastbender. So I want to know. Isn't if that got fascinating? Any- well, also because, um, I, again, like this year, uh, having watched The Killer and Michael Fassbender and Tilda Swinton getting to have like the great big sort of tete-a-tete of the film, right? The best scene of the film. Um, yeah. I mean, if you don't include Sila Baker smashing Michael Fassbender through a wall, which I definitely do, but it was so <laughs> fascinating watching that scene and in my head, not the first time, but the second time I was watching The Killer it was like the energy that they have and they are playing very different parts, but it's not that far removed. Like the pace and the mood and the tone of the killer is actually like a quite nice double bill for something like only lovers left alive. Like I think they would pair very well together and just sort of seeing the texture between Fassbender and Tilda Swinton a decade after they were, after they did this is really, really interesting to see. I think Tom Hiddleston is the right person for it. Because it's also, you know, she's Scottish, he's British. And the two of them had worked together previously and circled each other on the theatre circuit for forever. Like, he was like a big, like, bad bitch, he's the bar, you know, theatre superstar for years before he blew up with, Mm. you know, all his fucking film work and shit. But, like, that was the thing that... Until he became in Disney low-key purgatory. <laughs> so he's just, like, oh never going to stop playing oh. that character. That was the other thing that I was watching this movie. I was like, he was a superstar. Theater comes out, does these huge movies. It's like, fantastic. He's going to be a guy. Like, he's like you watch Only Lovers Left Love. You're like, oh, man. He's going to be, like, one of the guys. He's going to be around. And now all he does is these movies. And it's just like, where is the Tom Hiddleston who was going to be out there like looking for crime roles, do, you know, doing a heist, well, you know, those sorts of things. To be fair, when he, like, just, you know, we know him through, he's been famous at a certain level for like 15 years, right? Yeah. But when he was first, like, you know, when he was the bad bitch of theatre and everyone was like, no Hiddleston, no play <laughs> kind of vibe. <laughs> Every time he tried to push and forge forward into the screen space, largely through television, it was always in British period dramas mm. and it was just like, you know, a lot of Austin shit and like, you know, playing Charles Darwin and crap like that, not crap like that, whatever. Paul Bettany's done it too. Fine. Everyone has to do their time in the fucking <laughs> Charles Darwin trenches. Right. But <laughs> 2011 is the year for him where, and I remember this so specifically because I interviewed him that year for truly one of the worst films. It's called War Horse, as I'm sure you know. Um, I actually went dressed up as War Horse to an Oscars party that year. Uh, it was incredible costumes, like 12 out of 10 no- notes, one of my best. But in 2011, he does Thor. He yeah. has a scene-stealing part in Midnight in Paris. Yeah, he's great. He, Scott Fitzgerald. He, 
oh my god he's definitely in warhorse <laughs> which is like, like he's very good in it but like truly who gives a fuck like that film is just like lost to the fucking you're not a you're not a horse girly clearly because i remember on a plane my wife one sam howard who you love dearly watched that movie and sobbed like it was like one of the most impact the impactful epics she'd ever seen well the thing that just also always got me is like warhorse was obviously based on a hit hit stage play and when i looked at the pictures of the stage play and this horse was fucking made of twigs and shit i was like how do people take this seriously a bunch of people like projecting all of their shit during world war one famously a terrible time for all involved <laughs> and they're all just like hell yeah man this bundle of twigs like never have i loved a thing like i've loved this bundle of twigs so like this sucks and somehow the film was worse but um he has that there is that one shot that i do think about as he's like on the aforementioned warhorse plowing into a line of german artillery and he's been such a like aspirational courageous character up into this moment and then as he's like they're all there the fucking cavalry charging in there's this moment on his face where his face kind of drops as he sees the guns and he's like oh i'm about to die this means nothing this meant nothing and he dies but anyway and deep blue sea was the other thing that came out that year and then so not, his four movies, not the not the good one not deep as blue as my hat is like a shark's fin instead he was going <laughs> deep into Rachel Weiss's blue, if you know what I mean. <laughs> and it was just like, that's four films in one year, right? Yeah. Notable films, like extremely notable. All of those films are significant in some capacity or another. And then straight after that, out comes fucking Avengers the next year. And then, you know, he does a few other like theater bits here and there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it's fucking Only Love is Left Alive. And then we're into the era of like Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston-ing for the rest of time. But it's just like, it's so fascinating. I think that's why this business interests me so much is like, that's somebody who was genuinely like working and grinding for a decade, for a decade. On, the, on the stage and in the screen and originally auditioned for Thor because Kenneth Branagh have loved his work on stage, auditioned for the part of Thor, not of Loki. And then didn't get the part. And they're like, hey, man, what about this fucking greasy guy over here instead? And he is his performance and his portrayal is one of the sort of most enduring things about Marvel. Like still to this day, it's like the way the things that he was able to do with that character and how he was able to make a villain sing has been he did it so well that it's been a problem for Marvel ever since in terms of like they've always had a villain problem because they got really fucking lucky with their first few and just he just set the bar so high yeah that you know when it does get to be Lee Pace and body paint like Lee Pace is incredible too but fucking you know he he didn't have the deliciousness that it does, and and Lee Pace's Instagram is where all the deliciousness yeah. lies yeah Six, seven. It's just so crazy. It's crazy. I actually can't look. Like, I don't follow him and I can't look at it. But every now and again, my explore tab's like, I know what you want, you big slut. And it's just like, it's hard to look directly at him because it's just, and, you know, especially when he's out there with his partner at like a Tom Brown show 
and he's wearing those slutty little shorts with the high-waisted socks and I'm just like ah! like you know punching the wall Adam Driver stuff but okay this isn't trivia but the other thing I just want to mention before we move on to other sections is again Anton Yelchin like this really is Tom and Tilda show and then you have all these bit players in and around you have John Hurt you have Jeffrey Bright you have Anton but Mia Wasikowska does such an incredible job oh my god of encapsulating how annoying Australian women are <laughs> that it is <laughs> it is truly just like it's so Australian coded even though she's not playing an Australian character but I'm just like this is somebody uh, who has lived this right anyway this is someone who like this is the uh, you nailed it that it's Australian coded because I, I hadn't put that together but I was that was one of my points I wanted to bring up to you was she like hurts you. You're like, oh, she's like one of those people, like a cousin that you're out of touch with and you try and do the nice thing and she just fucks up everything. And you're like, you know, these people in your life, you know, they come in and you're like, get the fuck out of my house. I did love the line. Go back to go back and fucking write in LA. It's a, it's very fun. Um, So LA, so LA. And it's just, you do want to talk about people's runs and their timing, right? Because, she blows up with Alice in Wonderland. And that's kind of the thing that puts her on the map, even though, you know, she was really one of the breakout stars of Entreatment, like has such mm. an incredible performance in that. But like, just let's just talk about her run. If we, <laughs> let's bookmark it, this period of her career from Alice in Wonderland as starting point to Alice in Wonderland 2 as the end point. This is, <laughs> this is her, her run. The kids are all right, which fucking slaps, fucking yeah. slaps. Jane fucking air bully. Killer Killer movie. Harry Fukunaga on his bullshit. Michael Fassbender on his fucking bullshit. Again, all these people keep crossing over with each other in weird ways. Restless, I actually think is really underrated. People don't love it. Oh, no, they didn't love it at the time. They were just like, this is a bit slow. And there'd been a few sort of like teenish melodramas like Remember Me and shit where Robert Pattinson gets 9-11 and everyone's like, do we want to do this? And then a few sick like period dramas back to back albert knobs which is great like is great and also has janik mcteer flashing some of the best hits i've ever seen in my life like that's there's lots of things to remember at that movie but i do just remember so clearly the scene where she flashes her tits at glenn close's albert knobs and i'm just like that's the best rack i've ever seen lawless which fucking bangs we love that film stoker Goddamn incredible. Stoker Tracks. is 20 out of 10. Incredible. Tracks is, Tracks is a great movie. Amazing. And another great. Li- yeah, you don't usually like that kind of thing. Well, I just don't usually like movies with that much sand, but it's just, it's <laughs> beautiful and it's just like, she's so good. And it's such an interesting story and it's shot like a motherfucker. The Double, which is super weird. Maps to the Stars, which throw in a little Cronenberg joint. Madame Bovary. And then fucking Crimson Peak is the last thing she does before falling into the Alice in Wonderland trenches. Like, secure the bag, babe, off you go. But that is an incredible, like she is, and she, post Alice in Wonderland, she has, I feel, also done lots of great interests. Oh, the devil of the time is terrific. Bergman Island was huge. Judy and Punch is amazing. I haven't seen Judy and Punch. Judy and Punch is really, really good. It's got your boy, Damien, um, Damien Harriman and uh he plays aforementioned punch really 
but it's also a gone girl tie-in because of the whole Judy and Punch Dolls thing. But she's somebody who's a really careful chooser. Like she picks and chooses really carefully. Mm. She's really respected for her craft. But my God, only love is left alive. Being in the middle of that run, that's like 12 films back to back. They're fucking sensational. It's crazy. I mean, even so underrated, like, like you said, between Alice in Wonderland, which is 2010. So you assume she's shooting that early 2010, maybe 2009. She does that Jane Eyre, Restless, Albert Nobbs, Lawless, Stoker, Tracks, and Only Lovers Left Alive, and The Double, all between 2009, 10, and 13. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight films. And, and if you, like map, maps the stars as well, like yeah. smaller part, but she's in the top four cast members on all of these films. If yeah. not, Crazy. in the case of something like Tracks and Stoker, where she is one she of is the, the movie leads. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Lawless, again, she's a smaller part as part of the ensemble. Albert Nobbs, part of the ensemble. Kids are all right, part of the ensemble. But just, oh my God, like she's so impressive. Crimson Peak is such an incredible film. She's great and in she, it. Give such an incredible performance. And again, working with Tom Hiddleston, like the people that whatever Jimmy J like was in the water with the people that he was choosing, you know, even mm. though Michael Fassbender doesn't end up in this, the Michael Fassbender, Mia, Tilda, Tom, all keep sort of like circulating, circulating and percolating around each other in a way that whatever chemistry he could taste, that it was like, it's still there in them. And other casting <laughs> directors see it too because they're putting people in variations of these same combinations. It's really, really interesting shit. It's, yeah, and she's she's so good in this movie because she is usually put as the sweet girl. And I think that what's so good about Mia is that she she likes being sort of sweet and they've put her in period films where she has to kind of be very measured, but this is a loud, loud performance and she has met or is possibly blood related to this character in real life. Like she is just, she, her level of like taking the piss annoying is like, this is the kind of person who you are going to encounter this Christmas. Like this is yeah. someone who you're related it's to. It's so funny because she's never done any other part like this. Like, actually, there's a few little cameos in black comedy and shit like that, but that's a thing nobody outside of Australia or ABC has seen. Um, but it's just like, this is such an unusual role for her. And yes, she has done lots of period stuff, but she also plays lots of dark characters. Like, even if they're, you know, seemingly like put together girls on the surface, I'm thinking of Stoker and Jane Eyre, but they have an edge to them. They have a darkness to them. Uh, a gumption if you will and it's um it's yeah it's just very really really fascinating stuff I also thought that um I mean they're completely different parts but Saoirse Ronan and Mia Wachowska there had been a like you know sort of like what if casting thing about Mia Wachowska either auditioning and not getting or going up for the role that Saoirse Ronan plays in Byzantium mm. and it ended up going to Saoirse Ronan instead I find that so interesting because I think you could have swapped out Saoirse and put it in Only Lovers Left Alive and put Mia in Byzantium and had almost like they those two women to me are two of the best actresses of their generation. But they are interchangeable in those parts. Like that's how good they are and both how good those films are. And 
they're both like sort of gothic films about vampirism. I think so I think weird. Mia has the I used to be on Neighbours and now I'm a chaotic Australian actress that's going to live on people's couches in LA vibes. Um it reminds me <laughs> it reminds me so much of someone we know, but we're not gonna we're we're keeping that for the group chat. But what I was gonna she say won't listen to this. She won't listen to this. You're fine, you're safe. <laughs> um, but what I was gonna say is I would have loved a fucking chaotic Irish energy to that. Like, can you imagine Sersha? No, but I don't say this is the thing. I think Sersha would have played it like LA as well. Like yeah. I could see her, the dumb bitchery of this part oh. and like the ditziness of it. I could see her really leaning into this and doing it in a really, in a really fun way that to be honest, I don't really think she had in her until I watched Lady Bird and yeah. was like, oh, okay, cool. Fascinating. Interesting. You know? Yeah, it's so it's so good, man. This movie is so so good. Last thing we usually talk about on our decade projects is like, what did we learn? And it's like, I just learned that this movie has disappeared, and and for no apparent yeah. and for no apparent reason. There's like, have you we... thought about that too? Was that something you were thinking about heading into this? Because it's well, like sometimes it... it's a little bit hard to perceive outside of the bubble of me and you just circle jerking the like twelve things we're passionate about. <clears throat> Hey, you know what I mean? Well, that's one, but, um, I was just, (laughs) (laughs) but I was, I was just going to say like, usually when I've done decade project things, like in some of the last episodes, you know, you talk about, um, I spoke to Gavin Mevius from Mixed Reviews podcast, who you were on their show recently. Love Love Gavin. He's such a scholar. He's, he's terrific. We were talking about the before trilogy because we're talking about before midnight because that was, that was 2013 Mm -hmm. as well. And so then I went and did the digging. And so you dig and there's heaps of articles about this. And the, I guess the lesson for that one, for folks who are probably going to listen to that one shortly, if you haven't already, was like, oh, there was a moment between now and then that the, the before trilogy became canonically like a cinema trilogy that everyone had to see. Like, And we kind of were trying to track exactly when that happened and those things. And I, so I, did, I try and do the same thing on all Decade Projects. What I noticed is there is a loud silence around this movie there's no like features there's no like retrospectives it's not on vampire movie lists readily that either a you've written or b i've written there you fucking go because when i googled it one of the searches that came up was stuff that we had written on graffiti (laughs) and like i had done a piece on it at the daily. i was working at the daily telegraph at the time and had done a piece on it for the daily telegraph and it was just like very interesting because like this is a decade your uh, so our shit that we wrote about this film at the time shouldn't be that high up in the search terms no way usually it gets populated with not only more recent pieces but pieces that have new clicks and so it feels like i also i did partially wonder if maybe this is an accessibility issue now you know each their own in america everyone has a different service and a different system but here you can't watch this movie for free it is not available. You need to rent it or buy it. I haven't seen a physical release for it. Have you? I've got, I have a physical release and do you know how I have it? I think I bought it You're in 2014. <laughs> I think I got it in 2014 when it came out. So I've had the Blu-ray for like 10 years. But like, so this is the thing. It's, it, it becomes an, like if this hit Netflix, I would be very interested to see especially us netflix us netflix around this time just like go bang drop it see what happens 
and it just you know the way that certain things can just resurge and find I mean suits is the example that everybody uses but it happens with films all the time as well it's really really interesting stuff like even the um Anaconda is a film that I've always rode really hard for but the amount of Anaconda memes and content I've seen in the past 12 months has reached a level that's so absurd and it's like nobody was. And I think like, I send you a new one like every three days. Every day. And it's, they're but, all funny. They're all funny. But you know why it is? It hit Netflix. Anaconda hit Netflix. It's accessible to people again. Uh, I remember when Fear, one of my all time favorite films and a like, you know, baby's first psychosexual thriller. I remember when that hit Netflix and was in the top 10 for like weeks because people were like, is he going to fuck this bitch on a roller coaster? Like, holy shit. Like they could not, and they're like, "Oh my god, is her her dad trying to fuck her? Like, is this whole thing like a cockfight between her dad and her psych? Is that a Solano about to fuck an entire butt? Oh, what is going on? Like, it was just <laughs> one of those things where people couldn't believe what they were watching, but that film entered the discourse again because it was accessible. And you know, it doesn't have to be Netflix. It could be, um, well, you know, fucking, it's not going to be Max, but." It could be Disney Plus or something, but it's just the sort of thing where I think maybe part of the reason this feels like it has died in a conversational vacuum is because it's not accessible for people. And also when you think of this, is the other thing that I'm, you know, you know, I'm super passionate about is like physical media. Like this is also ripe for like Tilda's out there doing interviews for the killer and Asteroid City Tom Hiddleston is out there constantly for Loki because he's like the he's the engine, the personality, all of that that they ha- they're hanging so much of this like weird nexus of Marvel's current state, both in cinema and television. It's sort of all over the place, and it's like no one mentions it. And it's also that you know Jim Jarmusch, to your point, right? Like he hasn't really done much since the Dead Don't Die, if really anything it's like it's hard to see so it's and Jim well, is just like a legend a, a legend of independent cinema so it's really strange that like we're not seeing something like this especially after you know patterson and then give me danger and then the dead don't die i gotta be honest i really hate patterson um but <laughs> just to quickly I also one I, I know you would um <laughs> one of the <laughs> This was like, I bet you love this shit. Um, but one of the other things, like conditional elements, like this not, I feel genuinely, I think both of us are like, this is not reflective of the film or the quality of no. film. It's reflective of the societal conditions and how the film business has changed, right? So lack of access to it in physical media form and or streaming. But also the death of film journalism and pop culture commentary and critique. There are so many places and publications that we worked for and have worked for that do not exist anymore that would have written pieces on this film back then but also would have written 10th anniversary pieces on it and not just like a little peek behind the curtains this is some real hack shit but I used to pull this all the time but you would get an interview with somebody about some present day project and you'd be like man I don't really care about a dog's purpose but what I really want to talk to Harrison Ford about is, okay, not Star Wars, but like <laughs> what lies beneath. I what know lies it's coming beneath. up to a yes. why, what lies beneath anniversary or like whatever. So you would interview that actor for that particular current film and you would save usually your last question, maybe your last two questions 
and you would dedicate them to something odd. And and if it was Harrison Ford, for me, it would be What Lies Beneath. Tom Hiddleston, for me, it would be Only Love is Left Alive. So say you were interviewing Tom Hiddleston on the Loki season two press circuit and back in the dizzle where there used to be longer form pieces and, you know, shit like that, that existed out there. And you had more than 1.5 journalists doing the job of 12 people in a film or in a specific round, you would ask a question about Only Love is Left Alive and do a retrospective piece. But the problem is there are not very many arts journalists that exist anymore. And the ones that do are so strapped and like so. Well, they've got assignments. Like we know. They're flying by by the seat of their pants. But also, even if they did write this article, there's nowhere left to publish it. That is the problem. And so it's the kind of thing where when this film came out, it was very rich in the days of film blogging and film discussion places. But it's just it's kind of like the ringer or death really yes yes and it's it's also a multi-quadrant film in that you've got Jarmusch who has such a legendary status as a hugely influential and important in American independent filmmaker and like a guy who you were being taught about in film school and a guy certainly I was at university when we're talking about filmmaker American filmmakers and American independent filmmakers but then you've got like Tom Hiddleston who's still one of the biggest stars in the world you've got Tilda Swinton who is like one of the most beloved people. So it's just like always feels like, wow. So yeah, there's a bit of a vacuum, but that's part of the reason why um, this was, this is an essential, but also like exciting film for me to do here. It's because it's like in so many of the others, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of filmmakers who've gotten bigger. It's like, yes, Prisoners is being found again because of Netflix, but Danny Villeneuve, people are talking about him because of Dune. Is that true? Being found. Did you just make that up or is that no. true? It's having, it's, it's been on Australian Netflix and is consistently in the carousel for me for like months. Oh, and months for and you. Months. That's not reflective. Of, I mean, no, they but, know but your I, fucking shit. They're like, man, look at this sick fuck. He's going to love like him. No, you talk, you talk about, give no, him what he wants. <laughs> but it's the Jake Gyllenhaal memes from that movie. Yeah. He's, oh, oh, to be honest, that's the only time I've ever found Jake Gyllenhaal hot. Genuinely, the only time I've ever found him hot was in prison. That and Nightcrawler, yeah, yeah, that's you. No, no, Nightcrawler (laughs) is too triggering because I worked with those guys. Like, I know those guys. I remember coming out of that film and making a mental list of all the dudes who fit that exact Nightcrawler profile because you used to have to deal with them all the time on the crime beat. But yeah, really fascinating stuff. Can I ask you a quick question? This is like a you can cut this out. Um, and maybe this is like you know revealing too much. Uh, of what's to come in the decade project for the year of our 2024 but in 2014 the films that you're looking at is there anything that's like this in terms of it hasn't had an enduring legacy mm, i'm gonna um i'm gonna open the old notebook um to where i have the entire list so far of what's there because let me just throw some suggestions at you because the one I was going to say that hasn't necessarily had a legacy or like there's a few that haven't had a legacy but are important to me are The Drop, A Most Wanted Man, A Walk Among the Tombstones. They were all these sort of... Um, I would love to... Uh, you already have one that may have to be out like closer for the year next year uh, that has your name next to it. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> Can you tell me? Interstellar. Oh my god, in my top five of all time. Yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. 
Um, but like the legacy, that the film one, is more popular now than it was back then. You, yeah, like that I mean film that has grown. Ninety percent of music Instagram is guys in cafes playing Interstellar theme on pianos and like people reacting to it, um, which is crazy. But the one that, like, you said that I love that you, uh, Dead Man Down. I love that you call that because that one is fascinating because that is, it was actually a WWE Films production. That has a fascinating story because like they started branching out into films. Anyway, really fascinating. The big one that I think uh, has absolutely no cultural footprint that I have on my list, and it's mainly because I like it, is Robert Downey Jr.'s The Judge. Oh, absolutely you know, no cultural I you, footprint. I thought you were going to say Predestination uh, because that is a film that like Only Love is Left Alive felt humongous at the time. Oh, it was felt humongous like it for both was, of us. Uh, yeah, but it was it genuinely did feel humongous amongst like the film girlies and gays and theys. And like it was the Sarah Snookification, like we're off to the races. And then it's so interesting now is like maybe it's because a decade later, um, in some perspectives, people feel like the spear bros haven't fulfilled on the promise that they demonstrated with predestination, which was considered like their film. But like you know, an elevated film of like everything that these these guys are exciting dudes to watch, if you will. But um, the judge, it's so funny you say that because I actually I hear that get brought up quite a bit. Do you? Like, yeah, <laughs> by dudes only ever by dudes. Like <laughs> name a woman for one dollar to quote Billy Eichner. But um, yeah, only ever guys. <laughs> Uh, so funny um another just one more quick question you've got i know like it follows is the big horror project mm. of that year but like housebound comes out that year as well oh housebound is so good truly one of the best new films so funny oh my god so good 2014 so, banger yeah 2014 also, has a fucking insane lineup of movies can i also insane. just oh, equalizer one of my most like annual rewatchables in 2024. Like I rewatch that movie, like, I don't know, once a month probs. Um, but can I also just say really hitting its stride for young adult cinema and uh, by stride, I mean, crest <laughs> because it's like this trend is over. It's dying. It's dead because it's when divergent comes out, yes. which I think is so kooky and fun, but is like, it's so funny to watch. And I just rewatched it the other day. I've never crazy. watched a version. I couldn't. No, you could. You could. You know why? Jai Courtney's in there with a Proud Boys haircut <laughs> and, and big stretchies in his ears. And the other reason, and Zoe Kravitz, one of her very early roles that convinces me she's not actually a good actress. She's just hot. And sometimes those things are hard to differentiate. Shailene Woodley's great. What about, actually, Zo what about Zoe actually, Kravitz Jack in Bob. Gimme? And what? You a Kimmy fan? Uh, it's okay. <laughs> I, I, high high fidelity is the thing for me. But um, Chloe Grace Moretz was also in that sick, like, I'm a violinist, but am I dead or am I alive if I stay? And, of course, the personal favorite for us, Vampire Academy, babes. Yeah. It's so a it's big just like, it's a it's, fun year. It's, it's a, a fun, fun year. year. Like, just on that list, like, uh, the, the other ones that are, you know, and, and I will say this is actually good for the pod. So there's like, in that year, there's Gone Girl, 
Of course. Yeah, I mean, stop. Grand, Grand Budapest Hotel, Nightcrawler, Ex Machina, What We Do in Shadows, Edge of Tomorrow, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, Chef, mm. Guardians Chef. of the Galaxy. Like it's, it's a, it's a banger of a year. And that's only like, that's tip of the iceberg stuff. Like there's so many greats. There were some also banger comedies, like Bad Neighbours was so fun. I remember having such a fun theatrical experience with you seeing that at um, the event. Because Rose Byrne just charmed the fucking, like just charmed the movie. But it's, it's not just her. It's also like, the chemistry that her and Seth Rogen have, Zac Efron is so good in it. And then also Bad Neighbors 2 is really fun. When you have Chloe Grace Moretz and Beanie Fieldstein and like the girls just being like feral gronks and shit. But top five <laughs> is also a, bon- a banger. Can you explain like, feral gronks to international listeners? Nah, I'm not here to do their homework for them. Um, also, 22 Jump Street is that year. Oh, my God, don't. One of my favorite films of all time. So my, fun. I'm, lo- I'm literally looking at my surfboard right now, which is named after a scene, one of the opening scenes from 22 Jump Street. Uh, and then there's Jeff. So my surfboard is named El Jeff uh, um, because of that scene. The guest. Oh, <gasps> Stop. We need to end this so I can just go jerk off. I yeah. love that movie. So, so, so amazing. And much. so just... The other ones, like a couple of other, I mean, the Babadook is that year too. It follows is probably the big one you've got there with. I'm not doing the Babadook. You need to find someone else for that. Kingsman, which I know you'd love the first one, is that I, year too. I also love the prequel, which is now getting a sequel. <laughs> and it is so funny because the prequel is getting a sequel and the prequel ended on a cut scene where they're like, dude, what's your name? And he's like, my name is Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I thought that was a bit where they were making fun of like cutscenes and movies and they're like, nah, we're gonna do the Hitler sequel. And I was like, you guys are crazy. You had that Elton John fight scene in the sequel, which the sequel's not good, but like my god, that scene just rips. Kingsman uh, is such a good movie. Um other other movies that are amazing. I remember I had such an amazing time watching Selma, so Ava DuVernay's film, which was outstanding, which so is a 2014. The right, the second, say, very rewatchable, very, yeah, re-watchable. very rewatchable. The raid two, which I think is one of the greatest Hammer action. Girl. Oh, our girl, Hammer Hammer girl. girl, and one special to our hearts. Kevin Smith's Tusk is a 2014. I feel I, you know, what's also important about Tusk is I feel like that is the end of our Kevin Smith era, like that it film really, really is. Ha- it really heralds the end of you and I. It's like, being... we're, we're good. <laughs> it was one of the formative things of our friendship when we first became friends. And Tusk and like 2014 is when you and I are starting to drop off that. We, you know, some would say we're starting to grow up. Um, not I, Sam. Can I read you one Gone Girl tweet that just made me howl with laughter and is relevant to this? Wait, we need to talk about two things though, just because... The in in next year it's mm. Ouija or is the first one mm. came out in 2014 and Lost River Ryan Gosling's directorial debut with Christina um, Hendricks what, and Sasha Ronan. We're not talking about those. Come on, get real. What? Ouija doesn't get good to the second one and uh, Lost okay. River. Girl, come on. What are we doing out here? Like we don't we need to talk about everything. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. 
Who's out here being like, hell yeah, man, where my river heads at? I'm gonna I'm gonna find some river heads, I swear to god. Ouija two is the one though where things start to get really interesting. Um for okay. a future for a future one. Yeah, go on. Okay. I do love that you brought it up though, but it's a hard no for me on your show that I don't want to <laughs> work on. Okay, this this tweet from Elizabeth Belsky, Locks Poli, uh, if you are on uh, the site called Twitter, I refuse to call it the other name. I am once again thinking about how if Taylor Swift moves to Missouri for Travis Kelsey, it will literally be the plot of Gone Girl. You can't take an insane blonde who loves cryptic scavenger hunts out of the NY NY metro area. There will be a body count. (laughs) Killed me. I've been thinking about that tweet like twice a day, every day since I read it. I was like, that is funny shit. Amazing Amy on amazing Amy Taylor's version. Let's fucking go. Oh God. So yeah, this is thank you for doing this and 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 you've helped me preview A the reason why I want to keep doing this, but B specifically, um, I think you said something pretty beautiful, which is that if what also instigated the show this year was a, fr- a, a, a strange and a very thankful friendship with Macon Blair, um, mm-hmm. who came on to talk. Well, I, w- I originally just asked him to come on and talk Blue Ruin. I was like, could you come on and talk Blue Ruin for its 10th anniversary? And he's like, oh, I'll get Jeremy. Like as in the great Jeremy Saulnier to come on the show. And so then I invited Roxana Haddadi to come on. Great critic, amazing voice that has been on so many of our shows. And we got to do a, like a 10 year anniversary chat about Blue Ruin. And so you've just even more so committed to me that like, this is the place if you have those 10 year movies now, like they exist here, they exist on podcasts like this, where you go back and you go, well, I'm either going to talk to a great critic or a great author or a great screenwriter or all three of those things um, mm. in one, or I'm going to see if I can talk to the filmmakers. And we, so we might have some things up our sleeve to talk to some filmmakers about some stuff next year too. And it's, it's just also fun, you know, like when we get to the stage down the line where we get to do Jupiter ascending, if you have anyone else on that show, I will literally like riot in these streets. But it's like there are things to appreciate about films and like sometimes it is something like Only Love is Left Alive where you feel like, you know, the the conversation has maybe died off. And if this gets five people talking about it, cool. And if not, fuck it, cunts. We had a wonderful hour and a bit getting to chat about our favorite emo vampires. I And look, for a person who just mentioned a 2015 movie, you mentioned Jupiter Ascending. This year literally has movies I know that don't, you've watched 1,200 times. It's got your boy Black Hat in there. Uh, don't you be like, what came out in 2015? I know. I get a chill up my spine every time there's a Michael Mann film release. So I know the years perfectly. <laughs> no, no, I'm like, oh, no, God. no, you've got Mad Max Fury Road. You've got Sicario. Stop. You've Stop. got Creed, Spotlight. I no, know you've it's watched each of It's crazy year. It's crazy. Crazy. Magic Mike XXL, which was one of your best viewing experiences ever. Man from Uncle, a personal fave of oh you my and God. I. Like Focus, times- deeply underrated, and the greatest behind the scenes story of all time. One of my favorite, <laughs> nice. One of my absolute favorite Christmas films ever, The Night Before, which you want to talk oh about. Oh my God, an unseen gem. And something where the conversation I feel like has died out of that, you know, like for five years there, we were really like that was on every year and people would be talking about it and they just do not talk about the night before. And it's, it's just such a 
fucking good movie. Michael Shannon is Jesus. Just can't be beat. <laughs> the ghosts of yeah. Christmas past, present and future. Bless him. Thank you so much for chatting. Um, this is going to go live on our Patreon uh, for everyone listening before the end of the year. So thank you for coming on for the last episode of the year. And then it'll get played in January. So folks who are listening to this, you're listening to early January before we dive into 2014 stuff next year. Um, do you have anything to plug? You want to plug away, my darling? I Yes, I do. Thank you for asking, Flake. My latest book, uh, Assassin's Creed Mirage, Daughter of No One, is out now. Um, if you're like, Assassin's Creed, boy, that title sounds familiar. Are they going to sue you? They are not because it is an official <laughs> tie-in novel to the latest Assassin's Creed game called Mirage. This is a completely original story set before the events of Mirage that follows the main character, Basim's mentor, Roshan, as she goes on a journey. It's great to be able to plug it on this show with you because you helped me finesse the pitch for it, which we were like, what about Ronan, but in 800s Persia? <laughs> <laughs> and somehow they paid me to do that. Anyway, that's available in the because, e because you're, you're, you still, for whatever bizarre reason, sometimes have imposter syndrome. And I know how talented you are. So when you were asking about like, is this right? I'm like, yeah, homie, you write about your favorite 90s espionage thrillers in video game tie-ins like do your version talk about taylor's version i want maria's version of ronan in in the fucking ancient times it's just very hard to write a book that's set in and i cannot stress this enough eight nine like eight one nine like the year of Elon eight one nine <laughs> do you know how many pop cultural references you can make then fucking none cunt fucking none nobody's got letterbox you can't be no out here like you can't be making jokes about swiping right. It's 819. Like, no fuck one's off. got As oh, somebody Jesus. who had a hard enough time, like in high school, understanding the difference between BC and AD, um, this really stretched me in many ways. But I feel like, you know, sometimes when your talent's at a seven and the project requires it to be at an 11, it's a great opportunity for growth and progress. So you can access that book via ebook, via physical book, wherever you get good books from, and audiobook right now. My pop cultural slasher, The Graveyard Shift, is Ooh. also available, yeah. endorsed by uh, Pan Oswalt, Ratatouille himself, and uh, what's the other book? Oh, Marvel's Mockingbird Strikeout is also available, um, and that is a novel about Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Bobby Moores. Pew, 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 pew. Pew, 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 pew. Well... Thank you so much. You're the best. And uh, we used You're to do Christmas best. shows. We used to do Christmas shows, but it feels like it's not Christmas until I've recorded the last podcast episode oh, of the year beautiful. with you. So here we are. More, 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 more. Love you. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. 
book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.